Chapter Fifteen of the Black Moth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tara Mendoza. The Black Moth by Georgette Hare. Chapter Fifteen. O'Hara's mind is made up. Jim Salter folded one of my lord's waistcoats and placed it carefully in an open valise. Then he picked up a coat and spread it on the bed, preparatory to folding it in such wise that no crease should afterwards mar its smoothness. All about him, my lord's clothing was strewn. Mechlin ruffles and cravats adorned one chair, silk hose another. Gorgeous coats hung on their backs, shoes of every description, red-heeled and white, riding boots and slippers, stood in a row awaiting attention. Wigs perched coquettishly on handy projections, and piles of white cambric shirts peeped out from an almost finished bag. Jim laid the coat tenderly in the valise, coaxing it into decorous folds and wondering at the same time where his master was. He had been out all morning, and on his return had looked so ill that Jim had been worried and wished that they were not leaving Horton House quite so soon. A little while ago my lord had been closeted with his host— Jim supposed he must still be there. He reached out his hand for another waistcoat, but before his fingers had touched it he stopped and lifted his head, listening. Hasty, impetuous footsteps sounded on the stairs and came furiously along the corridor. The door was twisted open, and my lord stood on the threshold. Jim scanned the tired face anxiously and noted with a sinking heart that the blue eyes were blazing and the fine lips set in a hard, uncompromising line. The slender hand gripped the door-handle, twitched in a way that Jim knew full well. Evidently, my lord was in an uncertain mood. "'Have you finished?' rapped out Carstairs. "'Not quite, sir. I wish to leave this year, and not next, if tis all the same to you.' "'Yes, sir. I didn't know you was in a hurry, sir.' There was no reply to this. My lord advanced into the room and cast one glance at his scattered baggage and another all around him. "'Where is my riding-dress?' Jim shivered in his luckless shoes. "'I, er, uh, tis packed, sir. Do you want it?' "'Of course I want it. Do you suppose that I am going to ride in what I have on?' "'I rather thought you were driving, Yana. "'I am not. The scarlet suit at once, please.' He flung himself down in a chair before his dressing-table and picked up a nail-file. Salter eyed his reflection in the glass dismally and made no movement to obey. After a moment, my lord swung round. "'Well, what are you standing there for? Didn't you hear me?' "'Aye, sir, I did. But your pardon, sir. But do you think tis wise to ride to-day for—for for the first time?' The file slammed down on to the table. "'I am riding to Holy this afternoon,' said his master dangerously. "'Tis a matter of fifteen miles or so, Yana. Hadn't you better—' "'Damn you, Jim, be quiet!' Salter gave it up. "'Very well, sir,' he said, and unearthed the required dress. "'I'll see the baggage goes by coach, and saddle the mare and Peter.' "'Not Peter. You go in the coach.' "'No, sir.' "'What?' My lord stared at him. There had been a note of finality in the respectful tone. My lord became icy. "'You forget yourself, Salter.' "'I ask your pardon, sir.' You will travel in charge of my things, as usual. Jim compressed his lips and stowed a shoe away in one corner of the bag. 
"'You understand me?' "'I understand you well enough, sir.' "'Then that is settled. No, sir.' My lord dropped his eyeglass. "'What the devil do you mean? No, sir.' "'I ask your pardon, sir, and I presume, but I can't and won't let you ride alone with your wound but just healed.' There was not a hint of defiance or impertinence in the quiet voice, but it held a great determination. "'You won't, eh?' "'Do you imagine I am a child?' "'No, sir. Or unable to take care of myself. I think you are weaker than you know, sir.' "'Oh, you do, do you?' Jim came up to him. "'You let me ride with you, sir. I won't trouble ye, and I can ride behind. But I can't let you go alone. You might faint, sir.' "'I can assure you I am not like to be a pleasant companion,' said Carstairs with a savage little laugh. "'Why, sir, I understand there's something troubling you. Will you let me come?' My lord scowled up at him, then relented suddenly. "'As you please.' "'Thank you, sir.' Salter returned to his packing, cording one bag and placing it near the door, and quickly filling another. The piles of linen grew steadily smaller until they disappeared, and he retired into a cupboard to reappear with a great armful of coats and small clothes. For a long while my lord sat silent, staring blankly before him. He walked to the window and stood with his back to the room, looking out. Then he turned and came back to his chair. Jim, watching him, covertly noted that the hard glitter had died out of his eyes and that he looked wearier than ever. Carstairs studied his nails for a moment in silence. Presently he spoke. Jim. Yes, sir. I shall be going abroad again shortly. If Carstairs had remarked that it was a fine day, the man could not have shown less surprise. Shall we, sir? John looked across at him, smiling faintly. You'll come, Jim. I would go anywhere with you, sir. And what about the little girl at Fittering? Salter blushed and stammered hopelessly. My dear fellow, since when have I been blind? Did you think I did not know? Why, sir, well, sir— "'Yes, sir. Of course I knew. Can you leave her to come with me?' "'I couldn't leave ye to stay with her, sir.' "'Are you sure? I do not want you to come against your inclinations.' "'Women ain't everything, sir.' "'Are they not? I think they are. A great deal,' said my lord wistfully. "'I'm mighty fond of Mary, but she knows I must go with you.' "'Does she? But is it quite fair to her?' and I believe I am not minded to drag you cross-continent again. You won't leave me behind, sir. You couldn't do that. Sir, you're never thinking of going by yourself. I—I I, I won't let you. I am afraid I cannot spare you. But if you should change your mind, tell me, is it a promise? Aye, sir, if I should change my mind. Salter's smile was grimly sarcastic. I am selfish enough to hope you'll not change. I think no one else would bear with my vile temper as you do. Help me out of this coat, will you? I'll never change, sir. And as to tempers, as if I minded. No, you are marvellous. My breeches. Thanks. He shed his satin small clothes and proceeded to enter into white buckskins. Not those boots, Jim, the other pair. He leaned against the table as he spoke, drumming his fingers on a chair back. A knock fell on the door, at which he frowned and signed to Jim, who walked across and opened it slightly. "'Is your master here?' 
inquired a well-known voice, and at the sound of it my lord's face lighted up, and Salter stood aside. "'Come in, Miles.' The big Irishman complied and cast a swift glance round the disordered room. He raised his eyebrows at sight of Jack's riding boots and looked inquiringly across at him. My lord pushed a chair forward with his foot. "'Sit down, man. I thought you were in London.' "'I was. I brought Molly home yesterday, the darling, and I heard that you were leaving here this afternoon.' Ah, and as I'm not going to let you slip through me fingers again, I thought I would come and make sure of ye. Ye are a dear too slippery, Jack. Yet I was coming to see you again, whatever happened. Of course. You're coming now, to stay. Oh, no. O'Hara placed his hat and whip on the table and stretched his legs with a sigh. Sure, tis stiff I am. Jim, I've a chase outside for the baggage, so you may take it down as soon as you may be. "'Leave it where it is, Jim. Miles, tis monstrous good of you, but keep your butts to yourself, Jack. Me mind's made up.' "'And so is mine. I really cannot. Me good boy. You're coming to stay with us until ye are recovered. If I have to knock ye senseless and then carry ye.' The lightning smile flashed into Jack's eyes. "'How ferocious! But pray do not be ridiculous over a mere scratch. Recovered, indeed. Ye still look ill. Nigh, Jack.' Take that frown off your face. Tis of no avail. I am determined. The door closed softly behind Jim as Carstairs shook his head. I can't, Miles. You must see it is impossible. Pooh. No one who comes to Thur's house knows ye, or anything about ye. Ye need not see a soul, but come ye must. But, Miles, Jack, don't be a fool. I want ye, and so does Molly. Tis no trap. "'So you need not look so scared.' "'I'm not. Indeed, I am very grateful, but I cannot. "'I'm going abroad almost at once. What?' "'Yes, I mean it.' O'Hara sat up. "'So it has come.' "'I knew it would.' "'What mean you?' "'You found out that you loved Mr. Stye.' "'Nonsense.' "'And she you?' Jack looked at him. "'I'm a tactless oaf.' I know, and me manners are atrocious to be for trying to break through the barriers you've put around yourself. But I tell you, Jack, it hurts to be kept at the end of a pole. I don't want to force your confidence, but for God's sake, don't be treating me as if I were a stranger. I beg your pardon, Miles. It's confoundedly hard to confide in anyone after six years of solitude. He struggled into his coat as he spoke and settled his cravat. If you want to know the whole truth, tis because of Diana that I am going. Of course. You are in love with her. It rather points that way, does it not? Then why the devil don't you just ask her to marry ye? Why don't I ask her? Because I will not offer her a smirched name. Because I love her so much that— He broke off with his shaky, furious laugh. <laughs> How can you ask me such a question? I am a desirable parte, eh? Non, deu non. For what do you take me? O'Hara looked up, calmly studying the wrathful countenance. Chivalrous young fool, he drawled. Again the short, angry laugh. <laughs> it is so likely that I should ask her to marry me, is it not? Mademoiselle, you see in me an improvident fool. I began life by cheating at cards, and since then, oh! I shall believe it myself ere long. I seem to have told it to so many people. 
and I lay myself open to the impertinences of— He checked himself, thinking of the interview downstairs with Mr. Bullet. Rubbish, Jack! Tis not rubbish. I have one recommendation, only one. Faith, have ye as much? What is it? My lord laughed bitterly. I dress rather well. A fence better as far as I remember. I have no reason to. That is but another point to damn me. What woman would marry a fencing master? Oh, my God, what a mess I have made of my life. He tried to laugh and failed miserably. I rather fancy Mistress Dywood. She will not be asked thus to demean herself, was the proud answer. My dear Jack, ye forget. Ye are the Earl of Wincham. A pretty earl. No, thank you, Miles. Richard's son will be the earl, no son of mine. O'Hara brought his fist down on the table with a crash. Damn Richard and his son! My lord picked up a jewelled pin and, walking to the glass, proceeded to fasten it in his cravat. The other followed him with smouldering eyes. Retired into your cell again, eh? he growled. Carstairs, with his head slightly on one side, considered the effect of the pin. Then he came back to his friend. My dear Miles, the long and short of it is that I am an unreasonable grumbler. I made my bed, and I suppose I must, uh, lie on it. And will you be after telling me who helped you in the making of it? Carstairs sat down and started to pull on one boot. I foresaw we shall be at one another's throats ere long, he prophesied cheerfully. Did I tell you that I informed Mr. Bullet of my, uh, profession today. Miles forgot his anger and surprise. You never told him you were a highwayman, he cried. Yes, I did. Why not? Why not? Why not? God help us all. Are ye daft, man? Do ye intend to tell every other person ye meet what ye are? Bedad, tis mad ye are entirely. Carstairs sighed. I was afraid you would not understand. Twould take a wizard to understand ye. Another chivalrous impulse, I doubt not. Shiv— No, it is just that I, I could not let him think me an honourable gentleman. He took it well on the whole, and is now frigidly polite. Polite? I should hope so, the old scarecrow, after he had saved his daughter on him, too. And was he made ye so furious? Carstairs laughed. <laughs> he and myself. You see, he lectured me, oh, quite kindly, on the error of my ways. And— it hurt. "'Tis as well ye are coming to me, then, the way things are with ye at present." My lord opened his mouth to speak, encountered a fiery glance, and shut it again. "'Anything to say?' inquired O'Hara, with a threatening gleam in his eye. "'No, sir,' replied Jack meekly. "'You will come, please.' O'Hara sprang up joyfully. "'Good lad!' "'Lord, but I was afraid at one time. "'Put on your other boot while I go and look for that rascal of yours.' "'He hurried out of the room to find Jim, "'who, having foreseen the result of the contest, "'was already stowing the luggage away on the chaise. "'Half an hour later, his undue made, "'Jim and the baggage following, "'my lord rode out with O'Hara on his way to Thur's house. "'For some time there was silence between the two men, "'with only a perfunctory remark or two on the fineness of the day, and the freshness of the mare to break it. Carstairs' mind was, as his friend well knew, dwelling on all that he had left behind him. His parting with Diana had been quite ordinary, 
she at least making no sign that he was anything beyond a chance acquaintance. Indeed, it had almost seemed to him that her attitude was slightly aloof, as if she had drawn a little into herself. Her hand, when he had kissed it, had been lifeless and cold, her smile sweetly remote. He knew that he had held the hand a fraction of a minute longer than was strictly in accordance with the rules on good manners, and he feared that he had clasped it in most unseemly wise, pressing it hard against his lips. He wondered whether she had remarked it. He little guessed that long after he had ridden out of sight, she continued to feel that pressure. If he could have seen her passionately kissing each finger separately for fear her lips might pass over the exact spot his had touched, his heart might have been lighter. It was true that she had retired into her shell, a little hurt at what she termed his man's blind obstinacy. She had laid her heart bare for him to read. She had offered herself to him as plainly as if she had spoken in terms less general than in the plaisance. She had fought desperately for her happiness, thrusting aside all thought of maiden modesty, and when she afterwards had realized what she had done, and tried to imagine what he must think of her, she had blushed dark and mentally flayed herself for her lack of proper pride and manners. Terrified that he might think her immodest, overwhelmed with sudden shyness, she had been colder in her attitude towards him than she had intended, even in her anxiety not to appear forward. But in spite of her coldness, how intensely had she hoped that he would sense her love, and all that she wanted him to know! Incomprehensible the ways of women! Not endowed with feminine perspicacity or intuition, how could John hope to understand her dual feelings? He only knew that he had hurt her, and that she had drawn back, that she might not lay herself open to more. He could not hope to understand her when she did not fully understand herself. Reflecting on the swiftness with which love had come to them, he believed that with a like swiftness it might fade, at least from Diana's memory. He told himself that he hoped for that end, but he was honest enough to know that it was the last thing in the world he wanted. The mere thought of Diana indifferent to him, or worse, another man's bride, made him bite on his underlip and tighten his hold on the rein. O'Hara cast many a surreptitious glance at the stern young profile beside him, wondering whether his lordship would last out the tedious ride or no. He knew enough of Carstairs' indomitable courage to believe that he would, but he feared that it would prove too great a strain on him in his present weakened condition. Very wisely he made no attempt to draw Carstairs out of his abstraction, but continued to push on in silence, past fields knee-deep in grass, soon to be hay, with sorrel and poppies growing apace, along lanes with hedges high above their heads on either side, over hill and down dale, always in silence. Presently O'Hara fell a little to the rear, that he might study his friend without palpably turning to do so. He thought he had never seen Jack's face wear such a black look. The fine brows almost met over his nose, with only two sharp furrows to separate them. The mouth was compressed, the chin a little prominent, and the eyes, staring ahead between Jenny's nervous ears, seemed to see all without absorbing anything. One hand at his hip was clenched on his riding whip, the other mechanically guided the mare. O'Hara found himself admiring the lithe grace of the man, and his upright carriage and splendid seat. Suddenly, as if aware that he was being studied, my lord half turned his head and met O'Hara's eyes. He gave a tiny shrug, and with it seemed to throw off his oppression. The frown vanished, and he smiled. "'I beg your pardon, Miles. I am a surly fellow.' "'Mayhap your shoulder troubles you?' suggested O'Hara tactfully. Mm, "'No. I am barely conscious of it. 
I've no excuse beyond bad manners and a worse temper. From thence onward he set himself to entertain his friend, and if his laugh was sometimes rather forced, at least his wit was enough to keep O'Hara in a pleasurable state of amusement for some miles. By the time they arrived at Thur's house, Carstairs was suspiciously white about the mouth, and there was once more a furrow, this time of pain, between his brows. But he was able to greet my Lady O'Hara with fitting elegance, and to pay her at least three neat laughing compliments, before O'Hara took him firmly by the arm and marched him to his room, there to rest and recover before the dinner hour. Shortly after, Jim arrived, highly contented with his new surroundings, and able to give a satisfactory verdict on Jenny's stalling. He had quite accepted O'Hara as a friend, after some jealous qualms, and was now well pleased that his master should be in his house instead of roaming the countryside. At five o'clock, as the gong rang, my lord descended the stairs resplendent in old gold and silver trimmings, determined to be as gay and light-hearted as the occasion demanded, as though there had never been a Diana to upset the whole course of a man's life. Not for nothing had he fought against the world for six long years. Their teaching had been to hide all feeling beneath a perpetual mask of nonchalance and wit, never for an instant to betray a hurt, and never to allow it to appear that he was anything but the most carefree of men. The training stood him in good stead now, and even O'Hara wondered to see him in such spirits after all that had passed. Lady Molly was delighted with her guest, admiring his appearance, his fine courtly manners, and falling an easy victim to his charm. O'Hara, watching them, saw with content that his capricious little wife was really attracted to my lord. It was a high honour, for she was hard to please, and many of O'Hara's acquaintances had been received, if not with actual coldness, at least not with any degree of warmth. At the end of the meal she withdrew with the warning that they were not to sit too long over their wine, and that Miles was not to fatigue his lordship. O'Hara pushed the decanter towards his friend. "'Ave a piece of news for ye, I dare say will interest ye.' he remarked. Carstairs looked at him inquiringly. Aye, tis that his grace of Andover has withdrawn his precious person to Paris. Carstairs raised one eyebrow. I suppose he would naturally wish to remain in the background after our little fracas. Does he ever wish to be in the background? Oh, you'd probably know him better than I do. Does he? He does not. Tis always in the front he is. Mighty prominent. Damn him. My lord was faintly surprised. Why that? Has he ever interfered with you? He has interfered with me, best friend, to some purpose. I fear the boot was on the other leg. Well, I know something of how he interferes with Dick. Carstairs put down his glass, all attention now. With Dick? How? O'Hara seemed to regret having spoken. Oh, well, I've no sympathy with him. What has Tracy done to him? "'Tis nothing of great moment. Merely that he had that worthless brother of his seek to squeeze him dry. Robert. Andrew. I know very little of Robert. Andrew. But he was a child. And as rakish a young spinthrift as ye could wish for. Dick seems to pay their debts. Devil take him. Why? Heaven knows. I suppose Lavinia insists. We all knew that was for the reason Tracy flung you both in her way. "'Nonsense. We went of our own accord. She had but returned from school.' "'Exactly. And whose doing was that but Tracy's?' Carstairs opened his eyes rather wide and let both arms on the table, 
crooking his fingers round the stem of his wine-glass. "'Do the debts amount to much?' "'I can't tell ye that. "'Twas but by chance I found it out at all. "'The bellmen was were never moderate in the manner of living. "'No, we're any of us. "'Don't be so hard on them, Miles. "'I knew, of course, that the bellmen was estate was mortgaged, "'but I did not guess to what extent. "'I don't know that either, "'but Dick's money does not go to pay it off. "'Tis all freighted away on gambling and pretty women.' "'My lord's brow darkened ominously.' "'Yes, I think I shall have a little score to settle with Tracy on that subject. Some day.' Miles said nothing. "'How does Dick manage without touching my money?' "'I don't know.' O'Hara's tone implied that he cared less. "'I hope he is not in debt himself,' mused Carstairs. "'Tis like enough he is in some muddle. I wish I might persuade him to accept the revenue.' He frowned and drummed his fingers on the table. O'Hara exploded. "'Sure, twould be like you to be doing the same. "'Let the man alone for the Lord's sake, "'and don't be after worrying your head over a miserable spalpeen "'that did ye more harm than—' "'Miles, I cannot allow you to speak so of Dick. "'You do not understand.' "'I understand well enough. "'Tis too Christian you are entirely. "'And let us have an end of this farce of yours. "'I know that Dick cheated as well as you do, "'and I say tis unnatural for you to be wanting him to take your money "'after he's done you out of honour and all else.' Carstairs sipped his wine quietly, waiting for Miles's anger to evaporate, as it presently did, leaving him to glower balefully. Then he started to laugh. "'Oh, Miles, let me go on my own road. I'm a sore trial to you, I know.' Then suddenly sobering, "'But I want you not to think so hardly of Dick. You know enough of him to understand a little how it all came about. You know how extravagant he was, and how often in debt—' "'Can you not pardon the impulse of a mad moment?' "'That I could pardon. "'What I cannot forgive is his unutterable meanness in letting you bear the blame.' "'O'Hara, he was in love with Elvenia. "'So were you. "'Not so deeply. "'With me it was a boy's passion. "'But with him it was serious.' "'O'Hara remained silent, his mouth unusually hard. "'Put yourself in his place,' pleaded Jack. "'If you—' "'Thank you.' O'Hara laughed unpleasantly. "'No, Jack, we shall not agree on this subject, and we had best leave it alone. I do not think you need worry about him, though. I believe he is not in debt. Does he have fair luck with his racing in his—' O'Hara smiled grimly. "'Dick is a very changed man, John. He does not keep racehorses. Neither does he play cards, save for appearance's sake. Dick not play? What then does he do?' "'Manages your estates and conducts his wife to routes, winning down, bitterly. "'He inhabits your house. "'Well, there is none else to use it. "'But I cannot imagine Dick turns sober. "'Tis easy to be righteous after the evil is done, I'm thinking.' "'My lord ignored this remark. "'A curious smile played about his mouth. "'Egad, Miles, tis very entertaining. "'I, the erstwhile sober member, what is the matter? "'Am now the profligate.' I dice, I gamble, I rob. Dick the ne'er-do-weel is saint. He uh, lives a godly and righteous life, and uh, is robbed by his wife's relations. After all, I do not think I envy him over much. At least you're enjoying life more than he does, said O'Hara, grinning, for you have no conscience to reckon with. Carstairs' face was inscrutable. He touched his lips with his napkin and smiled. As you say, I enjoy life the more. 
but as to conscience, I do not think it is that. O'Hara glanced at him, sitting sideways in his chair, one arm flung over its back. Will you be offended if I ask you a question? Of course not. Do you intend to go back to this high-road robbery? I do not. What then will ye do? The shadows vanished, and my lord laughed. <laughs> to tell you the truth, Miles, I've not yet settled that point. Fate will decide, not I. End of chapter 15 Recording by Tara Mendoza Phoenix, Arizona August 2011